Thank you, Carol, for those prayers. And thank you, Pastor Ebsen and Hope for All team. So good to have you with us. And it's exciting to see the vision that God has put on your hearts. And we're just so proud to be able to journey with you um, these six plus years now. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you today, whether you are here in person, online. Um, it's great to be together. We started this flourishing series two weeks ago. Um, but last week, we did part one to these primal questions. And these questions are questions that get at the core of who we are. So often in church ministry, we talk about discipleship and becoming like Christ. And I grew up in the, the place of you know, Bible study. Knowledge is what is going to sort of transform you. And Bible study is important because it helps us to get to know God. But so often the things that are barriers to our spiritual growth, our emotional growth, are things that are below the surface. Things that we can't get at unless we feel safe, unless we feel like we're in a real community where we can open up about some of what is happening in our life. And so these primal questions go after those things. God in Genesis calls us to flourishing and to bring flourishing into the world. So we're spending this next um, January, February, on flourishing relationships with ourselves, flourishing with others, and then in land, flourishing in our faith, our relationship to God. Now, last week was part one. If you missed that, do go back um, because I hit the first two primal questions. But before we jump in, let me pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this place and that you are doing a work. God, you are doing a work in Hope for All. You're doing a work at Community Church. And we pray right now that you do a work in our hearts. May our hearts be open to the things you want to do in us and through us today. In your name, amen. So at the Church Mental Health Summit, which was this global sort of online gathering, I heard this guy Mike Foster talk about his book, and this is what he says in this book. The seven primal questions is a simple way of seeing your hidden programming, emotional needs, and supernatural gifts in a transparent way. To stop being controlled by old wounds and patterns that sabotage your story and learn how to live in emotional freedom. It's this idea of going below the surface to get at the things that actually are probably controlling a lot of how we're living and treating ourselves and treating others these seven primal questions are, am I safe? Am I secure? We hit those last week. Today, we're going to hit, am I loved and am I wanted? Um, each week, I think I can handle one more question, and I get to it, and I have to skip it. So we were going to do, am I successful today? So if that's your question, I apologize. You'll have to come back. And then, am I good enough, and do I have purpose? Part of what we have to, to be self-aware is to get at the question, what is my question? I talked to people this week, and they said, I've got more than one question. Many of those are actually connecting with me, and that's important to know. So how to get at your question, there's a few ways here. One, what are your triggers? What's that button of yours that can be pressed that sets you to anger or anxiety? Uh, what are the things that bother you so much? What are the strengths you bring to a relationship? What do you do really well? Do you make people feel safe and secure, loved, listened to? See, there's, a, there's also a gift to our primal question. It's not just a challenge. Is there a particular message you have for the world? 
that you want people to be included or that you want people to be recognized. If you're a parent, is there a particular message, a core message that you give to your kids? Is it do better? Is it you are loved? Is it be safe? These are all sort of self-awareness ways to get at your question, to get at the things that maybe you are wrestling with and have wrestled with your whole life. This chart is sort of this idea of if we only look at our behaviors, if we only look at our emotions, we're, we're not doing enough to get at the unmet needs that surface those things. Those unmet needs will actually produce the emotions. They'll produce the behaviors. So if I am an angry person and, and that's my behavior, maybe I yell um, at my staff or my kids and I've got this emotion of anger. If I only try to, to manage the anger, okay, I need to be angry less, I need to you know, express myself in, in softer ways, then I'm just managing it. And, and that may happen or it may not happen, but I haven't gotten at the root of what is actually internally triggering me to produce these emotions and behaviors. If you're constantly checking your bank account, right, and you're like, okay, I don't like that behavior, I'm, I'm just insecure, um, and you decide, okay, I'm going to not check my bank account as often as I used to. Um, maybe you're successful, maybe you're not. Again, you're trying to manage the behavior, but you have to go deeper to say, well, maybe I don't feel financially secure. Maybe I grew up in an environment that that didn't happen. And then you can start to bring healing to that question. This chart here, so whatever the primal question is, if it's answered as a yes, am I safe? Yes, then life is good. If you come with that question, am I safe, and you're not sure, relationally or circumstantially, maybe it's a no, then it sends you into this scramble. It's your chaotic reaction to the question, and you'll do anything you can to get that answer back to a yes, even if it is unhealthy. And we learn this from our childhood. Am I safe? As a child, you want to make sure you are safe, and so you'll do things as a child to help yourself to feel safe, but those childhood solutions are rarely the solutions you need as an adult. For me, I shared a little bit last week, one of my primal questions was, am I secure in our family environment, there wasn't a lot of financial security, not that there weren't resources, but my parents and their management of the money would fight a lot about money. And then when it would be payday or where there was enough money, we would go out to eat. And my reaction, my reaction to this, you know what, we are not financially secure. What can I do to help us to be financially secure? So I'm going to order the cheapest thing on the menu, right? I don't want to make it difficult for my parents to pay the bill. Now, my younger sister, that was not her primal question. She was a little bit clueless to the financial state of our family, so she would order the steak and lobster, right? <laughs> and I remember thinking, how could you do that? Do you not care for our family, right? We had different issues, same home, but different reactions to the situation. For me, it meant at 12 years old, I got my first job. I was a paper boy in our neighborhood because I didn't want to depend on my parents and their finances. You see how this works. In our childhood, we're imprinted with this question because 
It's something that maybe we didn't get the answer to as a child, and so we start working towards that answer. The problem is, is when we're in the scramble, we are self-sabotaging our life choices. But if we can get at the root of our question, we can begin to find freedom. We can begin to find transformation. We can begin to be tethered to the truth that we can hear from God. Now, all of us may have questions, and let me get at this here. You're not flawed or broken because you carry a question over your life. The real problem is not being aware of your primal question and letting it secretly call the shots. Chances are all of us have at least one question, and left untreated, it will continue to drive our decision-making. Now, with each of these questions comes a gift. We get a gift from our question because that question has been probably repeated in our minds subconsciously um, or consciously. And so if you were wondering, am I safe, then you're prob probably gifted in making a safe environment because you've been so concerned about your own safety, you want to provide stability to other people. And so in basic terms, we give what we want. John Calvin, so reformer from 400 years ago, says it this way, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. What he's saying here is our knowledge of God and ourselves are linked together. We're going to view ourselves through the lens of who we think God is and vice versa. So he's saying you have to know yourself, you have to grow in yourself in order to actually grow in your relationship with God. There's a reciprocity there to get under the surface. Paul shares this similar idea with the church in Corinth. He says this, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is in spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. See, Paul in this passage is referencing the Old Testament here and how there was this veil, there was this separation between God and his people because of their hard hearts. They weren't open to what God might do in their lives. But Paul is saying Jesus has removed that barrier. He's removed that veil. And so if we can walk in that connection, God can actually transform us into his image, into Christ's likeness. But you have to be willing to go there. It might be risky. You need courage. It could be dangerous. But it's an invitation to let God in. Now, Jesus knows what's below the surface already, and we see the gospel writers so often highlight that Jesus knew what was happening. He knows their thoughts. He perceived their malice. He knew what they were thinking. He knew their thoughts, but God knows your heart. God is always looking below the surface. He's looking at what is inside, because it's what's inside that's going to produce our behaviors 
It's what's inside that's going to actually lead and direct our lives. And so that's the place we have to go. Last week, we talked about these two questions. I'm not going to spend much time on them, but the first one is, am I safe physically and emotionally? Question number two is, am I secure, especially financially? Do I have enough resources? Do I ever have enough to feel secure? This week, we start with question three, am I loved? This question could be phrased many ways. Are you listening to me? Do you see me? Do you know me? All of these are getting at this idea of am I loved? Now, in your home as a child, if you had this question, perhaps your parents talked to you, but they talked over you. They talked around you. Maybe they didn't listen to you. Maybe you didn't feel seen in your home. Maybe love was withheld or love was only given as a transaction. When you met a certain amount of conditions, whether that might have been good grades or certain behaviors, then you experienced that love. So the need here is to really be known, to be seen, to be connected to others. And the fear is being dismissed or unheard of. You don't matter. You're unseen. And there's a giftedness here. People that have this question often are caring for others, for their emotional needs, to their physical needs. They create an environment that other people can be seen and heard because it's what they're craving themselves. And so they want to make sure everybody else is feeling loved as well. They can have strong relationships when they're at their best. Now, if am I loved keeps being answered as yes, then life is good. When it's not, then you enter this scramble. So oftentimes, if the question hasn't been dealt with, you avoid situations where you'll enter the scramble. You'll avoid situations where the answer might be a no. So you might pull back relationally because maybe this person isn't going to love me, isn't going to see me, so I better not risk it. Maybe you withhold your heart because it has been manipulated or abused in the past. Despite needing close connections, maybe you keep people at a distance because you don't want to risk their rejection to begin with. If this is your question and you're at your best, you're nurturing, you're kind, you're empathetic, you can create environments where people feel connected. But when you're in your scramble, you can become a people pleaser. Let me just do the right things, well, they'll start to like me again. You can overcommit, you can overgive, you can engage in codependent behaviors. How does that look when you're living in the scramble? You might settle for scraps of love. You might not think you really deserve to be loved authentically. You might be in codependent relationships, overgiving, overmeeting needs, believing love is transactional. If I do the right things, if I say the right things, then I will be worthy of love. 
Maybe in your desire to secure love, it will make you vulnerable to flattery. Somebody saying nice things about you that aren't necessarily true, but you just want to hear it because it's scratching that itch that you have that I want to be liked, I want to be seen. It can make you vulnerable to unhealthy relationships, though, and not a deep, authentic, real love. Erica and I started dating when we were quite young. I was 16 years old. And we both came from families where we had a number of these primal questions. And at that age, we weren't really solving these questions. We were so needy, and we found ourselves in a relationship, and really we're trying to meet these needs, this deep hole that each of us had, and we just kept pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. And, you know, on one level, it, it worked, but on another level, it was just unhealthy because we were so needy. There was this connection that went beyond sort of healthy relationship because we had all of these needs and we're trying to meet all of these needs with one other person. And that's never a good thing, whether it's in a marriage or a friendship. We're never meant to meet all of somebody's needs. The Christian faith can play such an important role in this question. Our Christian faith can tell us that we, in fact, are loved by God, that we're worthy of love, that we actually deserve to be loved, that God sent his son to us because he loves us so much. That can begin to help us to set down whatever lie that we might have believed about ourselves and to pick up the truth that our creator loves us. Question four, am I wanted? Do I belong? Do I fit in? Do you want me for me? Now, in your home as a child, this question might have stirred up for you. Maybe a parent abandoned the family. Maybe you were a middle child and felt overlooked. I was a middle child. Any, anybody else here, middle children? All right, I see some hands. My heart goes out to you. I have a special place in my heart for middle children. I certainly acted out of my middle childness to be noticed in a lot of unhealthy ways. See me, right? Maybe your caretakers were so involved in other activities that you were left on your own to fend for yourself in much of life. When somebody with this question meets somebody, their primary concern is they want to be liked. Things that can send them into a scramble, maybe they were not invited to the party and they find other people were. Am I really wanted? Maybe you're left out of a conversation and very quickly you find yourself triggered. Am I wanted? Do I belong? Do I fit in? When you're in your scramble, you tend to lose yourself. You tend to want to just get back to this, yes, I am wanted. And again, it can lead to unhealthy behaviors. If you had parents that were emotionally distant, if you were abandoned as a child, maybe you experienced being in foster care or 
an orphanage. When a child isn't pursued, they begin to wonder, am I wanted? Do I matter? They assume that they're not good enough to be included, to be a part of things. So the core need here is to feel accepted, to feel pursued. The fear is to be excluded, to not be a part of it, to be shunned. But there's an incredible gift here, usually excellent at connecting others, to feel to make others feel included, that they're a part of something because it's the, what you crave deep down. Usually great relational skills and helping people to connect, to be a team builder. But also with this question, there becomes the challenges, right? If you're wounded, you might self-isolate. I don't want to pr- put myself in a place of getting a no. Maybe you wait for others to engage with you instead of putting yourself out there to engage with others. And your isolation maybe compounds then. It's an important value of us at Community Church that we're inclusive, that everybody is to be a part of community. All are invited to be an important part of this church. So just as our faith with God can begin to answer some of these truths, as a community, we can live out this truth and it's something we always need to be working on to make sure we're, we're not hard to connect with. In fact, we are inviting people to get connected. Question four, am I wanted? Now, originally, I thought I was going to be able to get to am I successful. So sorry if you were hoping I would get there. We'll get there uh, later on in the series. Last week, I had this same slide up. Remember that your past is not the final word. Whatever is in your past does not have to dictate your future. We can learn from it. We can grow from it. Richard Rohr says it this way. He says, all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it to those around us. This is this invitation to grow, to be healed, to not pass down the challenges you had in your childhood to those around you, whether it be children or siblings or friends or a partner. But it requires to go deeper. If am I loved is a question for you, our faith, as I was saying earlier, is a wonderful resource. Paul says this in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God's incredible love for you is not dependent on your performance. It's not a transaction. It's not, I've done well enough to earn God's love. It's a gift that he gives to you to receive because of who you are, because of who he has made you to be. Full stop. He doesn't love you more when you're behaving well, and he doesn't love you less when you're not. His love is the foundation that he wants to build relationship with you. If your question is, am I wanted? Paul tells us earlier in Ephesians that, in fact, you are. He chooses you. He goes after you. 
Paul tells us, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. He pursues us. Even when we're walking away from him, he wants to come after us. I want to put one final slide. Um, I've had people ask me, how do I get at my question? And I think the earlier self-assessment, what are my triggers, what is my message, are good ways to do that. But there is also an online assessment that you can take um, that might be helpful for you. I had a couple people take it. They didn't think the results really matched up with them because they were kind of answering in the middle section. It's a slide scale. So answer more extreme, they said, for their selves, and they got better results. So I encourage you, if you want to dig deeper into that, um, to do that. As always in our services, we have the meal, communion, the Lord's Supper. And we have this really as the pinnacle of the service. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's what Jesus does for us. And so we center it. We gather because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we remember the meal that he offers us, that he gives us himself. He gives us life. He invites us into a journey of relationship and transformation. John 10.10 says that he came to bring abundant life. And this whole flourishing series is going after what does that abundance look like? When we come to the table, it's not just the looking back to the cross and what Jesus did. That is important. But it's also looking presently. What is Jesus doing right now? Which is why we partake of this meal. The eating of the bread, the drinking of the juice is a reminder that his grace is for us right now. Right now, he has grace for us. We do it weekly because if you're like me, I need the weekly nourishment of God's grace. We talked about last week, you know, be kind because everybody is in a battle. And Jesus knows that as well. And so he comes to us with his grace. He comes to us with his sustenance. He comes with us and says, you are not alone in this. In fact, I am with you. I have given my life for you that you may have life, not just a getting by kind of life, not just scraping by, but rich, abundant life because you are worthy of love. Jesus, we thank you for these incredible gifts of grace. We haven't earned these gifts, God, but you freely give them to us. We confess our need for you, God. We confess that sometimes our behavior towards others is harmful. Sometimes our behavior to ourselves is harmful, God, and I pray that in your grace you allow us to go deeper, that you give us the courage to go deeper, to go after these questions that maybe have been running our lives without us even knowing it. Free us, God. Heal us. May we trust that we are truly forgiven May we believe we are truly forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done. So may this bread for us be the bread of nourishment and grace, and this cup, your new life. In your name we pray. Amen.